Are you an overwhelmed entrepreneur with endless tasks, emails, and messages? Do you feel your systems are ineffective or you don't have any at all? I get it. You wish you could come up for air and take that well-deserved vacation you've been dreaming of, all without sacrificing the growth or health of your business. I'm hosting a webinar to introduce concepts that you can use to learn more about how to clockwork your business for operational efficiency. The best part? The webinar is at no cost to you. It will be held May 14th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and a recording will be available for those who can't attend live. If you are ready to make a change in your business so you can take a real vacation, go to bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF to enroll. That's bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Biz Help for You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. But there always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here's your host, Candy Messer. Hello and welcome to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, all you need to know about Medicare, but we're afraid to ask informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, links can be found on our YouTube and Facebook pages, as well as multiple favorite podcast platforms. If you'd like to receive notifications when our podcasts have been uploaded, please like and subscribe. And if there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Halty Martin is the founder and CEO of 10 Capital Group. He launched the firm as the Texas Entrepreneur Networks in 2009. Today, 10 Capital has over 12,000 investors in its network and has helped startups raise over $900 million. Mr. Martin serves as the vice chair of the Baylor Angel Network. He previously led the Central Texas Angel Network, CTAN, at its first executive director. Mr. Martin is the host of the Investor Connect podcast program. He's the founder and director of the Texas Open Angel Network, which is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to the education of angel investors. Mr. Martin is the founder and initial managing director of SKU Incubation Station, a consumer products goods accelerator based in Austin, Texas, and the former managing director of Accelerator NFC, an accelerator based in Dallas, Texas, focusing on near-field communication. Mr. Martin serves as an adjunct professor for the University of Texas, leading the Idea to IP program, which fosters startups from engineering programs. So thank you for coming today. Well, thanks for having me, Candy. Looking forward to this. This is going to be a great interview hall. So I like, I know this is a fabulous topic that entrepreneurs are very interested in. Uh, but before I get into the questions that I have for you, I would love for you to tell us just a little bit more about your background and how did you even become involved in this? 
Sure. So I worked for a company in Austin for almost 24 years. And around 1995, they went IPO. And I started doing angel investing after that as I was, as an early employee there. And we had an angel network in Austin called the Capital Network. And they ran from 95 to 2002. But I, it was there I made my first investment, put some money in and uh, promptly lost all of it and started to realize this is harder than it looks. But I was still very fascinated by the early stage world. And so we didn't have an angel network till about 2006, at which point the city did a restart. They called it the Central Texas Angel Network. And I was the first member to sign up for it. And when you're the first member, you're automatically on the board in charge of membership. It's a great honor, although there's no pay. There's a great honor. Yeah. And so I helped recruit about 50 members. And then a couple of months into it, we lost our director. So I became the director and I ran it for the first two years of its existence. And from those two years, we got a 33x return for the investors. We had about five men invested in about 20 deals. And the usual scenario, you know, two or three or four, you know, made up the majority of the returns. Uh, you know, the, the top 25% uh, made, made a return to the investors. The bottom 75% did not of those deals, but had a great time with it. And then my undergraduate alma mater, Baylor, came and said they wanted an angel network and wanted my help. So I helped put that together and got that off the ground. And that was where I really learned that, you know, the why of your angel network is a real key factor because in the, the first one, it was about financial returns. So people would come in with 375K checks, bang, bang, bang. Now what? Uh, well, let's wait to see how they work out. Well, in the angel world, that's a five to seven year wait. And so mm -hmm. we had a pretty high turnover rate. And then, but Baylor, it was really about student experience and uh, job placement. We were really trying to help the students get uh, launched into their careers. And so the turnover rate was much, much lower. It was like 30% every seven years because mm -hmm. the why was very different, but had a great time putting that angel group together as well. And then I did another one in Williamson County called the Wilco Angel Network. In 2009, I started my current position, which is Texas, what I originally called Texas Entrepreneurs Network. We were helping startups and investors connect for funding and get help with the documents and pitch and find the investors and so forth. And I just kept growing that program with not only angels, but also venture capitalists and family offices to the point where 2017, I started getting calls from outside of Texas saying, well, we're not in Texas, but we want access to your investors. How do we do this? And so we changed the name to 10 Capital. And that's how we got to where we are today, working across the country, pretty soon around the world on how to raise funding by connecting with investors and telling your growth story. Perfect. Well, before I get into the questions that I have for you too, just in case there's anyone listening and they don't quite understand the definition of angels or your joint networking or your joint ventures, I'm sorry, uh, can you explain what those mean? So an angel investor is an individual who's investing in early stage companies with their own money. It's like a venture capitalist, although a venture capitalist is usually investing other people's money, it's called mm -hmm. limited partners. And, but an angel investor is what's called an accredited investor. The SEC, Security Exchange Commission, has deemed that people of, of a certain status can actually invest in startups because they are very risky and you do see them go under and we don't want to put anyone into the poorhouse. And so the current definition basically says if you have a million dollars of net worth, not counting the house you live in, you are an accredited investor. And so that's what an angel is. And a venture capital is maybe a souped up version of that where it's maybe more money and uh, you're gathering funds from limited partners to make uh, bigger, bigger bets. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So there are so many people that feel it's risky to work <laughs> with startup companies. So why is it that you've decided to work with them? 
Well, I've always been uh, fascinated by the early stage. I think that's where that's the beginning of innovation. That's the essence of innovation is going out and starting something new. If you look at any great business, uh, it was started by an entrepreneur. Someone took a risk many years ago. And mm-hmm. that's that's the key part that is not easy, is hard, uh, and but it's also the critical factor for growing economies, generating wealth, creating jobs, and so forth. It really starts with startups. You can't have uh, job growth without uh, startups, you know, being a part of the picture, which is why there's you know tremendous support for it. You know, you know, government funds and all these uh, resources go into helping early stage companies, sometimes in the form of loans, but often in the form mm-hmm. of equity investments as well. So it's a key factor for growing the economy because technology is always moving forward and you always need startups to pick up and take it to the next level. Right. So what percentage of startups receive their funding from angels or venture capitalists? Uh, It's actually not a very high percent. It's around 15% receive uh, funding from venture level groups, not, not debt. You know, you can get debt from anybody these days, Mm -hmm. but you know, to get actual equity investments, uh, especially if it's an angel investor, that's their own money. It's a pretty high bar to get that uh, funding as well. And and rightly so you need a a business that has a a strong team and a real market, a product that's uh, ready to be sold and customer interest and traction behind it. And there's, there's just a lot of startups with ideas and uh, good intentions, but you also have to have a business that can actually stand up and continue to stand on its own. Right. Well, I'm thinking to someone who maybe has a startup company, maybe they've been in existence maybe for a year or so, and they're thinking, I need to have additional funding to you know, expand my business, but they might be afraid of giving equity away. So what would you actually tell somebody about you know, why you might want to go that route instead of a loan? Sure. So in the early days, if you don't have a a lot of revenue, uh, loans don't quite make sense. In my book, loans make sense when you have a business with revenue that you can pay it back. You never want to put your personal wealth at risk for these things. And so you can take some early stage money and you typically start with family and friends, people that are at heart supporting you. And maybe you have a few dollars to put in yourself. That always is a good signal to uh, outside investors that you believe in it. Skin in the game, they call it. And so you might want to take a little bit of money. The key is don't take too much. I have people coming Mm -hmm. in asking for two, three, four, five million dollars at year one. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if you do that, you're giving away a lot of equity and you probably you probably don't want to. So what you're looking for is what's the minimum amount I need to raise to get to the next level. And as I get more revenue, products, and traction, my valuation goes up and subsequent raises can be much bigger because your your valuation is so much better and you're not giving away so much equity. So it's really about bootstrapping and, and working in a very efficient, lean startup way. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to talk about the valuation calculation there too, because I've seen, you know, of course, as probably many have some of those Shark Tank episodes. And when they are asking for this amount of money for this small amount of equity, you're thinking that they don't probably even understand the concept of valuation. And I would love for you to explain what that even is and how they determine that. Evaluation is the value of the equity before the money goes into the business, and it determines how much ownership the investor gets. So as you can see, the investor is uh, determined to push that valuation down, so they increase their ownership, and the entrepreneur Mm -hmm. is determined to push that valuation up. 
I would say valuation in the end is really not a calculation. It's a negotiation. Anybody coming mm. into it should think along those lines. I meet many startups who think, well, I've got a formula here and this is what the formula says. And uh, But realize the no matter what number you put out, the investor is going to challenge it. How did you arrive mm-hmm. at that? And so it really comes down to justifying your valuation, negotiating. And the key is to articulate all the values that are in the business today. One of the challenges I see is startups that see a similar company further down the path, you know, doing very well, and they, they take their valuation for their own. Well, they, mm-hmm. they, they could be five, 10 years apart in business development. And so it's one of the rules is, is that if for today's fundraise, we have to use today's valuation, while many right. people want to use tomorrow's valuation today. Right. And so that, right. that's one of the issues we get into is that uh, we're not going to put money in for something that may come. We're putting money in for what is there right now. And so mm-hmm. it's important on the, on the startup to make sure you have as many values built into it before you go out to raise funding, such as the team and the product and the intellectual property and uh, customers, people paying for it. The more you have mm-hmm. of that, the better your valuation will be. Right. So then why do startups fail to raise the funding? Uh, many reasons. I, I think sometimes the startup is not prepared. They don't have their story together. They don't have their pitch. They haven't practiced it. It's not uh, all together. And it doesn't, I often find startup pitches don't actually uh, properly sell the business. They leave out important points. One of the key steps in a, in a pitch is that if you don't mention it, it does not exist. So if I forget mm. to tell you about my revenue, you walk away saying too bad they don't have revenue. So it's, it's on the, the burden is on the founder to make sure that all the values are put out there and articulated. Next, I see a lot of people, and this is one of the biggest ones, is a lack of follow-up. They go pitch mm-hmm. once and they never go back to them. And I, I learned this when I ran the angel networks is what I saw was entrepreneurs coming and pitching to my room full of investors. 90% would come pitch once, go away, and we would never hear from them again. Have no idea what happened to them. They just disappeared on us. And mm-hmm. of course, they got very little money out of that. Well, 10% came back and gave us updates, reminders. And on the fourth update, out came the checkbooks. And at heart, you have to build a little bit of a relationship and you have to demonstrate the growth story. And so many stars just want to predict the growth story. If I need more revenue, I just predict higher revenue. Well, no, you have to show that you're actually getting higher revenue. And that's not done in one meeting. You have to come back. Mm -hmm. So I say follow-up is one of the biggest reasons people don't raise money is they they don't go back and they don't uh, carry it all the way through. So those are some of the reasons why people don't raise money. and, And there are others as well. Do you have, or is there a resource out there for someone? Because as you're mentioning, you might forget to say this in your pitch, like maybe like a checklist of these are the things that you really should include in your pitch to cover what you need to share. So the investors are, you know, thinking, yes, this is a great opportunity. Uh, Sure. For example, we've written an e-guide on the topic of how to build a pitch deck. If you go to 10 Capital dot group uh, and go to the education section. You can download for free the e-guide and it talks about what you should cover in each slide going through and in what order. And at heart, it needs to tell a story and to hang together in a logical fashion. But fundamentally, it talks about all the key points. One of the biggest mistakes I see startups make is that they treat the investor like a customer. They sit there and talk mm-hmm. all about the product and how it works and why it's great and so forth. But, but the product is only one out of six or seven things that the investor has to know. They also want to know about the team and the 
pricing model and how you're going to go to market and how big is the market. And without that, it's very hard for the investor to get behind the deal. So it's important to give a complete picture and not just uh, talk about the product, which is only only a, a portion of it. Right. So obviously making sure they have everything in their pitch is really important, but what else should they do to prepare for fundraising? Well, you should prepare your network before you go out to raise funding. Make sure you know who in your network is a potential investor and you've gone to them, asked for advice, polished the pitch and so forth. The first 10 are going to be rough pitches. So you might as well do it with people that are going to give you some good feedback and understand and be a, a good coach and, or advisor to you as you kick it off. So and then from there, you need to build a, a path to how you can find more investors. And in today's world, I, I'm a big believer that you have to have a national perspective on your fundraise from day one. So much mm-hmm. of things are online now, and you can't really rely upon your local group just to fund you all the way. I find your local angel network is really there for validation. They're helping you get your pitch smoothed out, putting a little bit of money in. Uh, and then as you go further out, you know, you can point back and say, well, my family put money in and I put money and that angel group money put money in. And those are validation points that outside investors are going to look for. You never want to show up to a group outside your state and say, well, nobody back home would give me money. How about you? Because mm. uh, that is a sure, sure path to know. And so that, that's the that's the value of working with those local groups. And then you need to have a figure out where all these groups are. There are many websites, many tools out there to find these investors. And you have to start working your way through them and networking with them. Mm-hmm. Well, that was going to be my next question is how did they even find someone, you know, to find these groups, whether they're individual investors or it's a group that already has them kind of put together? Like where would they even search to find them? Well, online, you'll find there's several tools out there. Crunchbase is a really great tool for that. The Angel Capital Association is the trade organization of angel networks, and they list almost all the angel groups up there so you know where they are. You need to work your way through to them, and many of them have processes where you submit applications, and you have to start figuring out how that process works. Venture capital is the same. There's many groups and lists out there of venture capital by region or by uh, type of company, and then we also help with that as well capital. We have over 14,000 investors and we, we can make introductions to those people also. Mm-hmm. And I know you had said earlier, you know, perhaps sometimes people forget to put things into their pitch or, you know, maybe they haven't practiced enough and it kind of comes off a little bit, you know, just too, too new, you know, they haven't really got their facts down or things like that, but are there other mistakes that the startups might be making when they're preparing to pitch the investors? Uh, you know, there are many mistakes that uh, startups make, and uh, you know, some of them is that they they have what's called the curse of knowledge. You know, they know all mm-hmm. about their business, and, mm-hmm. and I used to watch pitches, and I would actually time it, and you know, from the start to when do they actually tell me what they do? And sometimes this is four or five minutes into the pitch before they actually let slip what exactly they're doing because they're so mm-hmm. close to it, they just assume everybody knows they're making the X Y Z product that does this particular application. But that was not always a good assumption. Sometimes we, we mm. kind of had an idea, but we weren't quite sure. And 
that, that's really a key factor because of investor, you know, they need to have some context up front. You know, what is the problem? Mm-hmm. What is the solution? And what is the product? And how are you going to market? And then they start to get a sense, okay, this is where we are. And now we can start to judge and engage with it. And if they don't get that, then I've seen people go all the way through the pitch and we never engage because we just haven't mm-hmm. quite figured out what this thing is. Uh, I've, I actually read a business plan once and I read it twice and I went back to the guys and said, hey, this is fantastic. So what do you do? And so mm-hmm. it, it, it just never actually spelled out what exactly it was. I was kind of making assumptions. And that's, that's the thing you want to avoid. And my coaching is in five words or less, you know, say what you do. We make radiation mm-hmm. hardened memories at some point right up front, put it right out there and establish that context. And you'll get a lot of people going, oh, and they'll, they'll be now moving on to the next step of starting to evaluate it because they have enough information. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So if someone is going to then pitch for the investors, what do they need to do to hopefully close that and actually get the investment from them? Uh, so the key, key to a good uh, pitch is that you, you have a good call to action. You, you have the ability, you have your data room set up, you offer that to the investors, all the documents are in one place. I had one startup that stood up that held up a diligence report and said, I've already done all the diligence for you. It's right here. And you make it easy for the investor. I've seen some startups, mm-hmm. when I ask for diligence, I'm getting uh, one document per email, and it's about 20 emails coming in over the next two weeks. Well, this is quite the paper chase that uh, investors don't have time for. So one thing you want to do is gather all of those key documents into one a place, a a drive, a box, whatever. And then you present that to them in with some logical organizations and folders so people can find things in there. And you'll find it's a lot easier when you're put together for investors to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about those documents to put together, like obviously I assume from the industry that I'm into financial reports or forecasts or things like that, but what other things might they need to put together to have as reports or information for those potential investors? Well, some of the core documents you want in your data room are things like entity filings. Do I have an LLC or a Delaware C? Mm-hmm. Uh, patent filings. Half the value of a patent is with investors. So if you plan to file patents, do so before you go out for fundraising, not after, because that will count for a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Third is you want to put your financial forecast in there. They do expect that. They want to know what you're thinking over the next three to four years in growth rates and uh, profitability and cash flow run rates and so forth. And at heart, they're looking a little bit at the numbers to see if you really know your costs and you know your business well. I do get forecasts that says in year one, we're going to sell $1 million. In year two, we're going to sell $2 million. In year three, and and this is not really a a realistic or well thought out forecast. And so you need to have a good one in that particular case. And then if there's anything else that's relevant to the business, as far as uh, customer concentration reports or byproduct reports are often used in these cases. And, And the final one is the cap table. CAP table stands for capitalization table, and it shows who owns what in the business. And it's one of the key documents investors will look for. And that makes a core of a what I call a data room or what some call the due diligence box. Right. And as you were talking, you know, forecasts or cash flow planning or like all of those different things, some of those things may seem completely overwhelming to an entrepreneur who's just starting out. They don't even know how to do that. So could you give a couple tips maybe to someone who's saying, okay, I want to put this together. I want to be able to create a a forecast that's pretty accurate. How do I even do that? 
So what you want to do is get a virtual CFO to come in and uh, help you put together your first uh, three to five year financial forecast and put your documents together. So you have a little bit of a third party look at it and make it give it a professional look and uh, do do some basic checks on it. You know, for example, if sales are going up and to the right, you would expect to see sales costs going up and to the right mm-hmm. because you're paying commissions and sales fees and so forth. And when those things don't match it, it becomes a problem for the investor because this doesn't look realistic. But it's okay mm-hmm. to get some outside help to help build some of those documents and set them up in such a way that maybe the entrepreneur can continue to keep it going forward and keep it up to date. At, you know, Two or three years later, you may have to do another round with them, but it should last for a, a few years. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the unique ways you've seen people pitch and get that money from investors? So you've seen the standard pitches, you know, coming in and talking for 10 minutes about what you're doing and so forth. And I think one of the, the best ways I've seen people actually do it is instead of pitching, they turn it into a collaboration exercise. They come in and say, mm-hmm. instead of my pitching you for money, I've got this company here. What do you think I should do with it? You know, what market do you think I should go after I got these three markets? Which market do you think I should pursue first and why? I'm looking for some advice here and I'm looking for you guys to help coach me through this process. How do I present this uh, very unusual business model over here that's uh, not very familiar with other people and get the and what you'll find is that the investor can get engaged and in, in, uh, caught up in the deal a little bit because they're a part of it now. They're not just mm-hmm. watching it like they're watching a TV show. They're now uh, being engaged into the process itself. So I find you know you're looking for making sure that the investor is connecting with it and if they're actually participating, not just listening, but they're actually giving feedback into it. It makes a big difference in getting their commitment afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I know earlier, again, we were talking about the different parts of the pitch. It's not just about the product. You want to talk about your team and, and you know, how you're coming up with your pricing. But if someone were going to focus on the most important aspect of the pitch, what would you coach them to really pay attention to? Uh, I think the key one that a lot of investors want to see is the validation points, uh, what I call market validation and product validation. The product works and people will pay for it. Those are the things, mm-hmm. the heart of what investors in the early stage are trying to figure out is, do you have that yet? And so you're not really trying to demonstrate high growth, uh, high growth revenue. Uh, I always tell startups, uh, you're a startup. Nobody expects you to have big revenue. What they're mm-hmm. really expecting you to have is predictable revenue. You know how you can go get more of the same business, this recurring revenue, you know it's going to repeat, and you know how to find more of the same customers. And those are the things that investors are really interested in. And like I say, so many startups just think, well, unless I have big revenue, nobody cares. And so they, they want to avoid the topic. And that's really not the right mm-hmm. approach. The right approach is to show how you know, you, you've proven how you can find a customer, close them, and then turn them into a repeat customer. That's the story you want to tell to the investors. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not that they have to feel that they're the most successful business, you know, out there, these out of startups or something, they could have a little bit lower revenue, but it's more showing that their sales are consistent and they have a huge potential for growth. That's right. You know, I always talk about, you know, embrace modest uh, traffic (laughs) there or embrace modest, uh, you know, revenue that's coming in. The traction may not be great yet, but look at it from a unit economic perspective. If you can actually Mm -hmm. go out and show how you can 
acquire a customer for a certain price and they can give you a certain amount of money uh, for it and that's a good uh, metric or ratio, well, then you have the, the beginnings of a really good business there and you're, you're showing it on a unit economic level is what I mm-hmm. coach people. Don't try to just make, make the numbers look as big as possible because what they end up doing is just blowing out the forecast in a way that uh, nobody really believes in that. And what they really right. want to see is real numbers. So take the numbers you have and dig into those and show why that's a great business model and that it's working now is, is, the, is the story they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I know, again, I've said, I've watched some of the Shark Tank episodes over the years. And I know one of the things that they ask sometimes is, you know, okay, what is the cost to acquire new customers? So do a lot of investors actually ask that question? And if it's important, can you explain to the entrepreneur who's not quite sure how to track that number, how they'd even come up with that? Sure. So cost of acquisition is is a big factor here because you're trying to figure out what's going to take to acquire that customer. So you're basically taking over a period of time, your sales and marketing costs. And if you're doing the sales work and you're not charging a salary, well, you have to put in what might a replacement salesman charge for it. So you don't have phantom numbers there. But the idea is you add up how much you spent on sales and marketing, divide by the number of customers you acquired, and that's your cost of customer acquisition. And there's a time component to that. And there's a dollar component. The dollars is how much you spent and the time is how much it spent. What was the average cycle from the time you started to the time they signed the check? Is it one month, two month, three month? Is it one year, two year, three year? Uh, Some of these uh, enterprise software systems, it's typically a minimum of a year before they actually sign up. And so you have to be, Mm -hmm. uh, you just need to know what that number is, is key. It doesn't matter if it's short or long, but it's, it's, uh, defined is what investors want to get to. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was another thought where you just said, it doesn't matter if it's short or long, but I was thinking, is there like a, a minimum amount of time you really need to be tracking that? Because again, sometimes it might take a while for you to be marketing before that customer comes in. They need to see you, you know, for a while before they're like, oh yes, I need to try that product. So obviously more time, you know, than a couple months probably would be necessary to really attract those customers. So is there like a minimum that you kind of require or recommend, like you should really be tracking for this period of time before you can really have a good number? Well, it goes back to the average close time. If the average close time is three months, then you need to be tracking it for at least three months to start getting Mm -hmm. meaningful numbers. Uh, If it's three weeks, well, then it needs to be at least three weeks. And then after you track it, well, then you keep tracking it and see if it continues in the same way. And then you start looking for Mm -hmm. seasons and cycles. If you're in the education space, you'll see uh, cycles kick in around the school year, buying habits and so forth. And so it's important to understand that that aspect of it as well. If you're Mm -hmm. uh, part of the the holiday season sale, you want to see what that looks like. If you're not part of the holiday season sale, you want to see what what the converse of that might be. So it, it, it can take longer to get more information to get to a basic uh, cost of acquisition, usually it's about three to four months, I think, to really get, start getting it for most most tech products that I see. Mm-hmm. And is there like an average percentage of when people come to pitch, you expect a certain percentage that are going to get funded versus not funded? Or is it really dependent on each time someone is coming and the number of people that are presenting just how good some are than others. I just didn't know if there's like an average number that generally get funded. 
So, yeah, I have a rule around startup and the startup world, both investing and raising funding. And the top 10% are going to get funded every time. Next 15% are going to get funded sometimes. The bottom 75% are not going to get funded at all. So it's a 25 to 75 ratio that goes through there. And then, strangely enough, the returns follow the same path. The top 10% are going to be great returns. And the next 15% are going to be okay returns. And the bottom 75% will be no returns. Uh, mm. Unfortunately, the difference between the, the top 10 and the second 15 are not always the same between those two. Sometimes mm -hmm. they swap out. The deal you didn't think would go very far did great. The deal you thought was great fell down. And so there's a lot of differences that go into those uh, numbers, but 25% uh, is what you expect to see in most cases. Mm -hmm. So you've been sharing a lot of helpful information. I'm sure entrepreneurs who are listening are thinking, you know, this has been great, but is there like one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's looking for funding that we haven't necessarily covered? I think the key is demonstrate the growth story. So many people want to mm -hmm. come in and uh, predict uh, the future is going to be bright, but the ones who really raise money are the ones that the growth story is in motion now and we're, we're demonstrating it. We're telling them about the customer we closed. We're talking about the product we just shipped. And that's, that's a key factor for these guys. You want to be out there showing that. The, the other thing I add on to that is most people want to talk about the product. It's all about the product. And I always say, no, it's always about the customer. Never go to a, never talk to an investor without having some real customer information to share, even before you have a product. I found so many people mm -hmm. come to me saying, we're in pre-seed and we're going to build this product and we're going to do this and that and so forth. And they never mention a customer and always get worried about that. And that's the, the fear most investors have is you're building something without any customer reality. And some people spend a tremendous amount of time and money building something that in the end, nobody wants. And so mm -hmm. the way I would approach it is if I have an idea is I go out and I talk to a customer and IBM and they have this problem and they think, uh, we have a solution for them. Uh, this is the story you want to tell to the investor. We're going to be building this problem. We're going to solve this problem for IBM. We've been talking to them. They have this situation. And the next discussion you bring back, oh, they're, they're talking about paying $50,000 for a pilot. And next call, they say, yeah, they want us to go and build the prototype and they've got some team to help us work on it. This is the story that's on the path to funding versus we're going to build a product. We don't know who's going to buy it, but it's going to be great. And this is the one where investors have heartburn because there's no market reality uh, attached to it yet. And mm -hmm. will it ever have market reality is the question. Right. And I know we've been focusing a lot on the entrepreneur who's looking for funding. Um, but now I was thinking, what if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, well, I have resources that I can share and I want to invest in a business and help them, you know, get off the ground. So what would you tell them in terms of how to find maybe a network or how to go about being one of those angel investors and what should they do? Sure. So I always coach people, it's best to work with an angel group or a syndicate that of investors who have a similar mindset that you have. They're interested in a certain sector or stage and you want to work in that sector or stage. You know, it's good to have something of an investment thesis before you go out to do angel investing. Sit down and set up, set it said in paper, what is your investment thesis? What do I think is going to be successful? Uh, what do I want to invest in? If it's an impact investment, which impact and so forth. 
<laughs> and how much money do I want to invest? I want to put two 75K checks into this deal and then start to say, and what criteria does it need to have? And so before you go out to look at deals, uh, make clear what you want to invest in. And then the last one is why? Why do I want to invest mm -hmm. in those? I want to give back. I want to make money whatever that, that message might be. And then you start looking for like-minded people. Who else is doing this type of work? Is it a group? Is it a fund? Is it a syndicate? And then you start to work with them. Maybe you join as an official member. Maybe you're a syndicate partner. Maybe you're just uh, hanging around to see what comes to the door through them. And so there's different ways of structuring that and setting it up. But know what you want to invest in and then look for people that uh, are of like mind for that as well. Mm -hmm. And if someone is new going into, you know, this angel group and maybe they've never even done any, you know, bids, you know, listen to any pitches and made decisions, is there a way that they can get kind of educated on what to look for, what might be a great pitch that could bring a return on investment? Like, do they help you learn how to do that so you're not losing your money and your investment? So it's great to sit in the room and listen to what questions the investors, other investors ask. And that's what you, mm -hmm. it's one of the values you get out of an angel group is you're getting the wisdom and the experience of other people in the room as to what it's all about. But if you have the time and the, the patience, one of the best ways is to go out and look at 50 deals, five zero, mm. and go write down what I think about this deal. I think it's going to be a winner. I think it's going to do this, this, this. And, uh, and in three to six months, go back and look up the 50 deals and see how well you did, what you wrote mm. down and what actually happened. Because after about three to six months, you'll see it going in one direction or another. It's continuing up or it's now going away or has gone away. Uh, and then you start to realize how, you know, how your perceptions are on track and how they're not on track. And sometimes people are good at estimating people, but not markets, or sometimes they're good about estimating products, but not teams. And so mm -hmm. you, you want to start figuring out where are you strong and where are you weak? Maybe you're good on two of the four. Now you start looking for people that are good for the areas that you're not good at, the investors mm -hmm. who can complement you, and you then start to work with them and start making decisions together. You first must know what that is. And it can be very hard to know that without actually going through the experience, because this is a different game. Most people have not right. spent time with startups and it's, it, you can get it wrong dramatically. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there's a huge percentage of businesses that go out of business in the first year or two years or five years, you know? So again, it's kind of risky, but I'm sure there are people out there who are listening, who are thinking that might be a great opportunity for them. So I appreciate your sharing that side of it as well, since I was focused more on the entrepreneur getting the funding at first, but I thought that would be a great little tidbit to throw in there as well. Absolutely. It's everybody's an investor. Everybody's a startup these days with crowdfunding. Anybody can invest mm -hmm. now. And it seems like everybody is doing some level of it for sure. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I know we're coming close to the end of the time that we have. So I do want to ask if you have an offer that you would like to share with the listeners. Well, if you are a startup and you have an idea or you have a question about a startup funding, I uh, invite you to come to our uh, 10 fundraise launch event. We do it every month. It's free. It's an hour long. Get to come in, ask any question you like, and we'll answer that question. Sometimes it takes a while to get through all the questions, but we'll help you. And we do get a lot of questions around valuations and uh, how much funding to raise and how to raise it and how to structure it and uh, all, those, all those questions we can help with. 
should you start a business? How, how do you proceed with this idea you have? And we'll give you some guidance on how to do that at no charge. Come on in and love to hear what people have to say and, and help them get on their way to the next level. Perfect. So if someone wants to connect with you, how do they reach out? Do you have like your website, a phone number, social media? What's the best way? The best way is on our website, 10capital.group.group. There's no .com on that. The .coms were taken up year ago, years ago, but 10capital.group, mm-hmm. uh, you can actually contact us and post your question. And there are education tools like calculators and e-guides that can be helpful as well. You can find on the events page that 10 fundraise launch program we just talked about. So by all means, uh, come out and join us and looking forward to hearing your questions at our next meeting. Thank you. That has been a great piece of information that you've been sharing with us too, just on this whole topic of pitching and getting investors, whether they're angel investors or venture capitalists. I think I've enjoyed this conversation very much. So thank you so much, Hall, for being a guest on my podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I do want to also thank the listeners for tuning in today. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some questions about how to raise funding for startups. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Hall at the website that he gave, or you can send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share our show information with those you know? I'd greatly appreciate your support. I hope you can join us for next week's topic, ACT, Align, communicate, and teamwork. Please remember you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is abandp.com. And you can also find the podcast posted on multiple podcast platforms, including Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Biz Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday. Have a terrific week.